Have you ever been sitting in traffic and just thought to yourself, how great would it be if I had rockets on my car and I could just blow a path open to wherever I need to go? I know I have, and I'm by far not the only one. This was the exact thought that three of the very first game designers at Sony had while sitting in traffic after a failed game brainstorming session. With this in mind, they had a great pitch for a game the next time around. This concept became the very first Twisted Metal, and today, we're going to look at the history of the entire Twisted Metal series. So ask yourself, can you drive? And prepare for today's road trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello, and welcome to the 167th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, a technology. I just, you know, want it to be relevant to this week. Uh, while doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Twisted Metal, originally released for the PlayStation on November 10th, 1995. I'm David Casson, and as always, I am teaching my co-host, who constantly participates in some vehicular manslaughter himself. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, who's on the receiving end this time? You know, just some people who are trying to win the same competition as me, but you just you, you can't stop till you win. No, we can't stop till you win. Isn't that a slogan for someone? If you're not first, you're last. That's a slogan. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that one character from the Ricky Bobby movie. Yeah, from the movie. What 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 you've been playing? Tell me about your video games this week. Well, Dave, this week has seen some of the finals, a little bit of Rocket League, and I, uh, RuneScape, as always. Um, of course. But I don't think there's been a whole lot else this week. It's been uh, kind of light on games. So how about yourself? What have you been up to? I'm pretty sure we played the finals in Rocket League together, mm-hmm. so we can wipe those out. I also played some of House Flipper. Okay, right on. Love that game. And I restarted Red Dead Redemption 2. Nice. How's that going? So look, it's what, 2018, I think, is when it came out? 2019, 2018, 20, somewhere in there, right? So we're four, five. Wow, when did it come out? It doesn't matter. It is still, to this day, my opinion that it is the most completely realized world ever created for a video game. Wow, that's impressive. Every single bit of that game, the details that go into it, I don't think any other video game touches it, really. And I thought after all this time, I've never finished it. It's one of those games that's just so big, like I load it up and then I go hunting and I forget that I was doing something, you know, or I go find this cave and then I forget I was doing something. It's just this world that's so alive that I, I've never been able to like focus on the story. So I had I had gotten overwhelmed by that and put it down and I decided to pick it back up to play it again. And 
yeah, I'm, I'm still hunting. So. <laughs> so you're right back where you started. <laughs> but I just, it is like, I, I, I thought that with so many years behind it and so many new games and technology around that my opinion of it would change. I mean, it graphics wise, it's a pretty game, but they're definitely, you know, it's not a 4k game in the, the modern sense. It like it, graphics wise, I know they could do better nowadays, which they probably will with GTA six. Cause that's what they're working on, you know, but like every bit of that game is just so well crafted. Like everything is something you know, you open up a drawer and you pick up an item. It doesn't just go in your inventory. Like your guy grabs it and puts it in his knapsack. Like you go to skin an animal. You actually skin the animal. Like the animation comes on for you skinning the animal. Like it's both a game that like values your time and also doesn't value your time at the same time because it wastes all that time doing that. So like as a game, like you spend a lot of time watching your character do things, but as a as a fully realized experience, I don't think there's anything that touches it personally. So I'm still I still think it's a phenomenal game. Right on, Dave. Sounds like it is definitely a good one. Well, Twisted Metal. Relevant culturally, thanks to the TV show that was just released. Kind of weird, though. Do let me ask you this before we go into the history. Do you think Twisted Metal is a popular game? Hmm, that's tough, because although I have friends that played it because I was into it, it's not something that I have heard a whole lot about outside of just us, really, until recently, honestly. To be fair, we haven't had one in over a decade now, so... Well, even still, like I it's a game that has been brought up with me multiple times, just talking about games we really enjoyed being when when we were young and not a lot of people that I talked to have played it other than, like I said, the ones who played it with us. So I don't know. Well, buckle up, because today we're going to kind of talk about the whole series from the beginning to the end, um, at least where we stand now. So and we can trace the lineage of. Twisted Metal all the way back to 1968. In 1968, David Evans and Ian Sutherland, they are pioneers in computer graphic technology. They were professors at uh, computer science professors at the University of Utah. They decided to start a company and it was called Evans and Sutherland. It was formed to produce hardware to run the systems being developed in the university They got their start out of an an abandoned barracks that was left on the university grounds. In the 1970s, they purchased the flight simulator division of General Electric's. We've talked about that before in our history on virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Um, They they purchased GE's flight sim division and they formed a partnership with basically the UK equivalent. And together, those companies would design and build flight simulators. And for the better part of the next three decades, they did just that. They specialized specifically, Evans and Sutherland, in building the display systems that had enough brightness to light up a simulator cockpit to daytime light levels. But this wasn't their only foray into simulations. In the late 1970s, they built a five projector graphics system to simulate a ship streaming, steaming rather, or streaming, depending on how you look at it. 
They simulated a ship steaming into New York Harbor and its surroundings. It was a project built for the U.S. Maritime Academy, and it was used to train pilots on how to navigate in and out of New York Harbor. And that project paved the way for lots of other future simulation systems. They built ones that were used to train people on the, the submarine periscopes. They built simulation systems that trained NASA astronauts on how to dock with the International Space Station. Uh, they trained astronauts on how to use the uh, docking arm, the little arm outside of the space shuttle. Um, they built simulation systems that would train on all of those. So simulations was their thing, right? Mm -hmm. They've dabbled in other things throughout the years. In the 1980s, they had a digital theater division that sold all digital projectors that were used at mass audience experiences. Think things like planetariums, IMAX theaters, like entertainment and educational venues. They, they sold the systems for all that. During that time, they also had a geometric modeling system called CDRS. It provided high-quality surface design capabilities that were photorealistically rendered, uh, aka they were. It was it was a system that was used by manufacturers that needed to do design and need to see what it looked like realistically. Some of the people that utilized CDRS were Ford and Chrysler, so it was used by the auto companies to help design cars. Throughout the years. They were dedicated to the, the concept of pushing computer graphics forward from a technological standpoint. For three years in the late 80s, they even sold a supercomputer. They, they were just always on the cutting edge. So in the 1990s, they decided to push this expertise, expertise of simulations, expertise of computer graphics simulation, computer graphics period. They wanted to push it to the commercial, like a, a like, like normal commercial market. So they built the Freedom Series graphic engine. It was designed to work with Sun Microsystems, IBM computers, Hewlett-Packard computers, DEC workstations. They wanted this graphic engine to work everywhere. And commercially, as I said, they wanted to get in that market. So that trickled down to the common man, to me and you, is something called 3D Pro technology. And that technology was developed to take advantage of the very first wave of 3D graphics cards for personal computers. In 1993, beyond this, they were finally asked to lend their expertise directly to the video game industry when Namco tapped Evans and Sutherland to assist with the texture mapping technology built into one of their arcade boards called the System 22 board. Now, Evans and Sutherland's chip was called the TR3, which stands for Texture Mapping Real-Time Real Visual Rendering System. This technology, which was on board the System 22 arcade system board, that's a mouthful, should have worded that differently. Uh, it debuted in 1992 with a game called Sim Drive in Japan. So Sim Drive was essentially a Mazda MX-5 driving simulator. It's called like the Euros Roadster, I think, in Japan. It's not called the MX-5. It had an entire MX-5 in front of like a 10-foot projection screen running a simulator using the System 22 board. Now, SimDrive was demonstrated at the 1993 Amusement Machine Show in Japan, but it was never brought into production. It was never meant to go into production. It was actually a prototype for the actual game that they announced. 
the game by which the System 22 board is well known, the game that really debuted the System 22 board to the world, and that would be Ridge Racer, which came in 1993. Using the System 22 board, they advertised Ridge Racer as the most realistic driving game ever. That's kind of funny in hindsight, ain't it? Uh, A little bit, yeah. So look, so as I'm researching the System 22 board and the TR3 chip and the technology and everything to learn kind of more about, you know, how they got into the video game industry, I learned, and I don't know if we'll ever do a Ridge Racer episode, so I'm going to talk about this because I think it's the coolest ever. When they released Ridge Racer 1993, they released a version of it called Ridge Racer Full Scale. It was basically what Sim Drive was. So they had an entire MX-5. They actually had the Unos Roadster, which is the right-hand drive version of the, the MX-5. You you sat at a full like full recreation of the MX-5 in front of a 10-foot-wide front-projected tri- triple screen. You had the wheel. You had a gear stick. You had the pedals. They all really functioned as controls. You would actually turn the ignition key to start. The speed and RPM gauges were functional, and fans blew wind on the player from inside the air vents. Wow. Speakers were concealed inside the car. They provided realistic engine and tire sounds, while overhead speakers provided the surround music. Now get this. You didn't see a whole lot of these. You want to know why you didn't see a whole lot of these? What was the sticker price, Dave? The sticker price in 1994 was $230,000. Yeah, I can understand why with that price tag. Holy that's, crap. That, that's a that's about half a million dollars today. So Yeah, that's insane for one but, simulator. But how cool is that? Like literally like and I saw I mean I have pictures of it if you pull it up. Like it's literally an MX5 in front of a projector screen and like they made it look like a real car. Like I I I mean, we played some simulators before, but I don't know if I've ever like jumped into one that went to that extent, you know? Uh, yeah, I cannot tell you. I cannot say that I have, honestly. That's pretty impressive. So the System 22 board was used on a handful of games, like a dozen, because you know how it is. They make a board, and then they make a bunch of games with it, and then they make improvements to it. It's the System 23. That's the way arcade boards work, you know? Some of those games included Ace Drive, there was Alpine Racer, Ridge Racer 2 was on it, Air Combat 22, Dirt Dash, but probably the best of all the System 22 games, which, as you know, I'm a very big fan of, uh, the very first time Crisis was a System 22 game. Anytime Rob and I are in an arcade at the same time, and there's a Time Crisis arcade cabinet, we will play it. I mean, that's kind of a given. Indeed it is, Dave. So that same year, 1993, David F. Jaffe is hired by Sony Image Soft, and he gets a credit as a tester on their on the 1993 video game adaption of the movie Cliffhanger. Uh, he is also credited later that year with as tester on another platform game called Skyblazer. The following year, 1994, he works as part of a team that brings Mickey Mouse to the Super NES, Sega Genesis, and Sega CD. It is a platforming game titled Mickey Mania, The Timeless Adventures of Mickey Mouse. They wanted to make a game for like Mickey's 65th anniversary, couldn't squeeze it in in time, finished the game anyways. And basically it's a cool platformer where Mickey, Mickey like revisits a whole bunch of his old like Steamboat Willie and his early cartoons, you know, and gets to platform through them. It's kind of a cool game for its time. 
but he was a he was a designer on it. He was part of a team of designers. He must have been great at it, though, because soon after Mickey Mania came out, he's tapped to design a game as the head of design for Sony's first home console, which, as we know, is the Sony PlayStation or the SNES CD, depending on who you ask. Sony ImageSoft itself was a video game publisher, so all of its games, they would contract with other development studios to actually develop the games, right? ImageSoft wasn't the primary developer. So Jaffe starts looking around for a partner to work with on this new project. And if there's anything that we know about David Jaffe, and look, we've talked about David Jaffe before. David Jaffe is the creator of the God of War series. And we did a whole episode on God of the War, I don't know, the 150s. It wasn't that long ago, was it? Not long ago at all, Dave, no. Yeah, I don't think we did it that long ago. So we've talked about him recently. He's the creator of the God of War series. He's known for being very full of himself. And that can be very off-putting to some people. And that was true here in the beginning, too. So finding a partner that would allow him to work with them designing a, a new game for the Sony PlayStation was a bit of a struggle. They're going through the usual suspects, and no one's biting, basically. So the executives at Sony basically say, okay, look, we have this meeting set up with this 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 company that we're, we want to tap to get into video games. This is your last chance, dude. Like, you go, you play nice, find out if we can make this work. So he's invited to this meeting. It's got him at it. It's got a fellow game designer, Mike Guillaume. It's got their boss, Alan Becker, who ended up running Santa Monica Studios, which is the God of War studio. It's got all these these three game designers who are actually the first three guys ever in the company of Sony to be ever given the title game designer. Actually, you got to think before the Sony PlayStation came out, they were never, they were, they were not a video game company, right? Right. This is a time period where there isn't any book on how to do things. Like they're just getting into making video games and making a video game console. And this is a time when like they've got Division Zero and like we talked about Parappa the Rapper in Division Zero and Resident Evil coming out of Division One. They're like writing the book and how to design video games for for their new system. They, they've never done it. They don't have experience in it. So these three guys here actually end up being the first three guys guys ever at Sony to like Sony proper to have the title game designer which is kind of a cool, fun little fact if you if you wanted to know. So these three guys, David Jaffe, Mike Guillem, and Alan Becker, they meet with the guys at Evans & Sutherland. So Evans & Sutherland had been recently contacted by Sony to apply their technology and help create a 3D game for its new system. But they're not a video game company either. They have no partner. And they have no idea how to go about it. So everyone meets. And at the meeting, everyone seems to get along. They throw things around. No one really has any great ideas, realistically, on a game. Or any idea how to integrate Evans and Sutherland's expertise into a video game idea. So, good meeting. Still a bust, right? Yeah, right. So the team is on the way home. These three, let's call them genius game designers. They really are three genius game designers. And they're on their way home and they get stuck in a traffic jam on the 405 in L.A., Southern California. 
when one of them jokes about using guns and missiles to blow up all the other cars around them. And suddenly the game designers find themselves in a spirited discussion. They're talking about visions of Michael Bay and Michael Mann, some action movie rolling down the 405, car combat out of a Mad Max movie, a ton of explosions in the background behind them. And that stuck with them. So the team has a follow-up meeting. They get together and the concept of a vehicular combat game was pitched back to the team at Evans and Sutherland, the guys from Utah, as they're called. No one was really in love with the concept, but the best that anyone else had come up with was a pizza delivery simulation. It's pretty dope sound co- game concept in my idea, Dave. Yeah, I know. Well, it would have been cool if it was like, I don't know, crazy taxi, you know, that would have been. That's a very good point. But I mean, honestly, stop and think of some of the dumb games that we play now that it would have gone over well even now. True. But needless to say, between pizza delivery simulation and blowing stuff up on the highway, blowing stuff up on the highway kind of went out. So naturally, I mean, come on. So in the spring of 1994, various members of Evans and Sutherland, along with uh, the game designers, they form a video game development company called Single Track. Now, there's some debate over that. The one story will tell you it had already formed long before here. Some another story will tell you they formed as part of this meeting. I, I guess all that really matters is that a company called Single Track is formed and Single Track is given a deadline. They have 12 months, less than 12 months, frankly, to develop two games for the Sony PlayStation. They are given two million dollars in advanced royalties to make it happen. So basically, they go right to work on both projects at once. One is codenamed Red Mercury, and the other is Project Firestorm. So both games actually began using the same base of code, and the team used that code base that got to work on what would become the studio's first two games. These two games were released. They show having the same release date, but again, you that's one story. Another story is that they release within five days of one another. Basically, they released at the same time in November of 1995. Red Mercury turned into the well-received combat flight simulator video game called Warhawk. Now, Warhawk simulates a futuristic VTOL plane, vertical takeoff and landing, or landing. Is it T-O-L? Vertical takeoff or landing. Isn't that it? Yes, I'm pretty sure. You can maneuver said plane... There's 360 degrees of flight controls. There are six levels. You have rockets and missiles and plasma cannons. And basically the game ends when you die or when you get through six levels of of everything. VTOL is vertical takeoff landing. Takeoff landing. Thank you. According to game designer Mike Giam, the development team for Warhawk looked at shooters like Afterburner and Star Fox then juxtaposed their arcade feeling with the freedom of a computer flight simulator. Now, the game being developed alongside it went through many names. It started off as Project Firestorm. They considered calling it Urban Assault. Decided at one point maybe Cars and Rockets was a Hmm. uh, decent name. It was called High Octane at one point. But what they eventually settled on is what we know it as today, and that is Twisted Metal. So as I said, they developed these two games together. During the testing phase, for instance, you could actually fly the Warhawk ship 
around the first arena of Twisted Metals and fire rockets down at the cars below. And then obviously they split that off into its own game and it became Warhawk. But the car part stuck and they decided to, to flesh that out as the vehicular combat project that they talked about initially in the beginning. The first arena and what would become a Twisted Metal is purposely small. It is designed to give players a chance to get used to the controls. It's just an arena in which you fight one opponent. Do you remember the first Twisted Metal very well? I wouldn't say very well, but I do remember it. So first level, uh, just an arena against one opponent. Quick little fun fact. It's the only level in the entire series of Twisted Metal where you only fight against one opponent. They never did it again. Mm. Never did it again. Uh, that's tough because it, if we're talking boss fights, I guess if you're talking just like standard opponents, but I, I feel mean, that like the I can't think of the actual name of the boss right now, but in like two or three, there's the uh, like moon something. And I swear that in that one, you only fight against the one. Well, I believe the isn't the boss of the Second one, the Warhawk ship. One of the bosses is literally the Warhawk ship. Mm, maybe I just don't remember that. That's all right. So the game opens up after the arena. Your second stage is the warehouse district. You're up against three opponents. Uh, one point, the warehouse district was even larger. The warehouse district and the third stage, which is called Freeway Free for All, they were actually designed as one whole level. But as we know, Development on the Sony PlayStation was brand new. They were writing the book on how to do it. The team encountered all sorts of technical issues that would just not let it work. So they ended up having to split up the area into two different levels. Funny enough, the biggest issue, the ultimate reason why they decided to do it, was because when it was one single area, it took the AI more than five minutes to find the player. <laughs> and That's so great. people were bored. <laughs> just driving still, around. Uh, I mean, I still feel like that was the case in some of the later levels, too, though. It really felt that way, at least. Right, 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 right. And if you want to continue this little trip down memory card lane, the fourth level, uh, River Park Rumble, you had six opponents. That's the one with the ice rink in the middle that we all slid and shot each other around. Mm-hmm. And then oh, you yep, have to... after that, I believe it was like the neighborhood or something. Yes, the suburbs, Assault on Suburbia. Uh, there's a fun and little then... Easter egg. There's a little Easter egg in suburbia I didn't know. Apparently, if you park on the walkway of the church after a short period of time, you're fully healed. You can only do that once uh, every time in that level. So I never, I never knew that. That's new to me as well. Uh, I believe after that would have been the rooftops. Yep. After that would have been the rooftops. Um, would have been the rooftop. Three opponents, including Minion, who's the last boss of the game. Um, if you're lucky enough to survive the rooftop combat, you can win the game. Also, as a side note, there is a inputable code that would let you let you fight with five people in the arena. Like as a like, I mean, back then, the PlayStation time, we had little cheat codes on the controllers. So there was actually one that would let you unlock a special level in the arena with four other cars or five other cars. I can't remember which, but I know it's a five person arena. So, yeah, I did not. That, that was the stuff that escaped me, I suppose. As this, I was just very is, vanilla with the gameplay. Well, this is early, and chances are you didn't get introduced to the series to the later Twisted Metal, so... Oh, no, I definitely played the first one a ton. 
I wouldn't say it's the most played in the series, but I played the hell out of it. Now, another little interesting thing about the development of the original Twisted Metal, they actually filmed live action endings for all of its playable characters. They were all directed by Jaffe himself. They're absolutely ridiculous. In each of them, you drive up to Calypso, who is like a man with a burnt face, looks like a pizza face man to me. He's like surrounded by these really jacked up bodyguards holding rifles and these women wearing skimpy bikinis. Uh, and, you know, the concept of the Twisted Metal tournament is if you win the tournament, you're granted anything your heart desires, absolutely anything. So in all of them, you know, in all of them, people get what they desire. A lot of times with the twist, you know, like you wish for this, it, you're going to wish you didn't wish for this, you know, like oh, one yeah. guy, one guy wishes Spectre is one of the characters. He's a ghost to Spectre and he wants to come back to life. So he drinks the little potion that makes him come back to life. And then Calypso shoots him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like they're fantastic. They were, they were, they're like, I wouldn't even call them B movies. They're like C or D movies, to be honest with you. They're like, they're awful and good at the same time. That's awesome. You know, and it's funny now in the context of the new TV show to go and look at like Sweet Tooth Needles Kane is Sweet Tooth's real name because like it's so bad. And then I had actually forgotten that his dad is the taxi cab driver, uh, Yellow Jacket. I forgot that Yellow Jacket is in the in the canon Sweet Tooth's dad. So like shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's right? news to me. Yeah. There's there's all sorts of stuff that you get if you watch these movies. They weren't in the original game. They were shown to the development team. The guys from Utah, as you see in a lot of old interviews, because, uh, you know, the uh, part of the team stayed in Southern California and um, they were found. They found them offensive. I'm not surprised. I mean, literally like big men with with AK-47s and, and skimpy bikinis and like, you know, the worst acting gone wrong you know, every which way it's a twist. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not surprised they were offended by them. Uh, yeah, can, it makes sense. You can actually still see the, the endings. I went and I watched them all the other night. They were included as bonus contents on one of the later entries in the series. We'll, we'll get to that. So, but as they're developing the games between Warhawk and twisted metal, Warhawk was definitely the favorite between the two, you know, executives at Sony didn't understand twisted metal. They didn't think it was going to play well. They kept putting it in front of focus groups and the focus groups were not in love with the game either. It was the afterthought between these pair of games that single track was creating, but they did create it. You know, they finished Twisted Metal. The game went gold. They spent ended up spending eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars on it alone to put into perspective. That was its 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 final budget. They released it right alongside Warhawk and, you know, much to the surprise of all the naysayers, Twisted Metal was an absolute success. It received positive reviews from critics. Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine named it their game of the year for 1995. Might I remind you that Chrono Trigger also came out in 1995. So to them back then, Twisted Metal was a better game than Chrono Trigger. Isn't that crazy to think about? I mean, uh, because I think in perspective, that's not the case anymore. I think that if you were to look at any modern rating, people would look more fondly on Chrono Trigger. They do. I'm not even going to argue this. I think they look more fondly on Chrono Trigger than they do on Twisted Metal. 
And see, I from that perspective, I could understand it, but having never played Chrono Trigger and loving the hell out of Twisted Metal, it is a little. It, it's it makes sense to me, but but I'll, expl- I'll 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 explain to you why that is. So you have to put everything into context, and this is the the this is the Sony PlayStation, right? They developed it. Sony PlayStation had just come out. And a year earlier, it would have been it would have been late 1994, would have been 95 in the United States. So we're not even like we're we're in the release period of of the PlayStation United States wise. And like it's cutting edge. Everything about the Sony PlayStation was cutting edge. The graphics are cutting edge. Those 3D polygons are cutting edge like they had never seen 3D games like this before. So Chrono Trigger is a beautiful game great game great story like there's nothing wrong with it but twisted metal is the future man like this is the you're like you're looking at the future of gaming now the reason why i say that they've twisted is the future of gaming Uh. has has continued right and now it's hard to look at twisted metal and say like it's cutting edge it's not cutting edge everything about it's not cutting edge graphics are dated the ai is poor you know, we kind of laugh at the story. These are all things that did not age in Chrono Trigger. Like you can't really there's no AI in a game like Chrono Trigger. The story never changes. The graphics are timeless. Like it's just it's just the nature of the argument. That's that's the reason why it's not it's not nay saying anything about Twisted Metal. Twisted Metal as game of the year was a a product of the circumstances. And when you apply it as a retrospective, it's easy, like, it's kind of easy to understand why that may have changed. Because you said it yourself, people don't really talk about Twisted Metal anymore. But anytime a whole list of people going, what's your favorite games of all time, or what are the best games of all time, Chrono Trigger hits that list constantly. You know what I mean? Right. No, I, I can understand when you look at it from that way. That That's it. Warhawk and Twisted Metal are commercially successful. Through the 95 holiday season, they sell a combined, like, half a million copies They bring in Sony $28 million in revenue, not a bad investment on $2 million in advanced royalties. You know what I'm saying? Definitely not, Dave. That's a pretty damn good investment. And on the topic of investments, Rob, we sure do invest a lot of time into this podcast, don't we? You know, Dave, I guess we do. You know, each week we spend countless hours researching and writing, recording, and producing each episode of A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. That's right, Dave. When we first started, we spent many, many more hours than we do right now, though, didn't we? We sure did. That was really that was well before we found our current tool set, the all-in-one set of podcasting tools provided by Zencaster. With Zencaster, it's super easy to record a podcast. Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It even allows you to record up to 4K video with your guests. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if your connection's unstable. With Zencaster, you never have to worry about what you sound like. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes all those ums and ahs, gets rid of all those awkward pauses in the conversation like this one. And you can set the right podcast loudness. I'm not going to let that go. I'm going to leave that one in there. I'm going to tell, tell Zencaster, don't touch that one, I promise. So you can set all the right podcast loudness. You can reduce background noise. You can do everything with the click of a button. And if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you, I mean, I sure know it overwhelms me. 
because you think you need a d- bunch of different tools and services and this and that and all of this. You can relax. Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast, edit it, and even distribute it to major sources like Spotify and Apple and other major destinations, all from one place. So if you'd like to start your own podcast, or maybe you already have one and you're looking for new tools to take it up to the next level, we've certainly got a deal for you. If you go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and you use our offer code, all one word, memory card lane, you'll get 30% off the first month of any of their paid plans. So sign up for Zencaster today and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high quality podcast as we do each week and kill the competition. Yeah, kill the competition. You know, while we're talking about killing the competition, let's should let's talk about Twisted Metal, huh? Let's talk about Twisted Metal. We both Let's played it. Let's do it, Dave. We played yeah, it. Yeah, we have definitely both played it. I don't know that there is a game in the series that I haven't touched. This is one of those few ones that I can say that I know pretty damn well. Not so much the development, but the gameplay. Sure, the Easter eggs and things escape me and some of these cheat codes because, you know, cheaters never prosper. But Twisted Metal... It was one of my games growing up. I played the hell out of these. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's a vehicular combat game. There's a competition organized by Calypso, or as Dave put it, Pizza Face. You drive around in modified vehicles, destroying your opponents. And if you win, you get what your heart desires. But there's a twist. Ha ha. There's definitely a twist. It's Twisted Metal after all. Exactly, Dave. So I just I remember growing up. This is one of those ones that it was fun to play by yourself. It was fun to play with friends when they had the multiplayer editions. It just you go around, you drive, you pick up power ups and you destroy the hell out of other people. It's just it's mindless fun. It is mindless fun. I. I was a Twisted Metal fan. I remember when this came out. I don't know if we bought it right away. I think we rented this initially, but like, I don't know. It was a lot of fun. I was also way more into racing games back then, though. So the concept of like a racing game where you could blow stuff up was super cool. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I know that just getting to drive around. I mean, we mentioned earlier how the maps had such a large scope that it sometimes took the AI forever to find you. And like you could go around and around these maps and not find the one enemy you have left because you're just driving around. So it became kind of like that, a driving simulator in which, hey, at the end of it, you get to shoot some missiles at someone or maybe use your machine gun or, you know, whatever be you have it. Maybe it's a bomb that you have and blow the hell out of them once you finally find them after, you know, 20 minutes or something. <laughs> well, and then this one also had multiplayer, right? So this was like Sony's answer to Mario Kart in a way, like just like bigger, better and more blowy uppery. <laughs> yeah, definitely blowy uppery is a uh, a good way of putting it. Yep. I I also thought that the game, the sorry, the cast that they had through the game, the playable characters were just a lot of fun. It was a lot of different things that you could do. And I may be misremembering specifics to Twisted Metal 1, but obviously Sweet Tooth. That's the face of Twisted Metal. Everyone knows Sweet Tooth. The freaking awesome ice cream truck with a scary clown on top. 
Uh, I know in later games that we'll talk about that it turned into a freaking robot. It, it's just, it's whist, it's wicked. You had, again, and this is where I may be remembering other games, you had Axel, a uh, guy who was literally just on like two wheels, these arms were strapped into and drove. I'm pretty sure that's Tristan Metal 2. It very well could be. Um, I remember there was another one that was like an old wood panel station wagon. And again, that could be three or four. I remember yeah. specifically a highway on that one. There was the truck, like Dollface. And I know that's specific to black. I think it was just like Darksider and one of the old ones. And it was a non-playing character. But there was a giant semi truck that was in there. What are some of the other ones I'm trying to remember? You mentioned the taxi. Yeah, so you had Sweet Tooth and Yellow Jacket. You have Dark Side. Uh, you have Outlaw, Thumper, Crimson Fury, Thumper, yep, Pit, Pit Viper, Warthog, Mister Grim, Spectre, Hammerhead, and Roadkill were the original thirteen. So, gotcha. And then, okay, and then and then Minion, you couldn't you couldn't play as Minion. So, yeah, they their endings are like hilarious, like. I think Warthog, Commander Mason, his desire is to like save his people. I I might have it mixed up with another person, but like his desire, like he lost a whole t- platoon of soldiers. He wanted to save them, so like he goes back in time to be able to save them. Like he radios him, like don't go, don't 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 go in there. Come back here, and they're like, okay, cool. And then he turns around and gets shot by a so- enemy soldier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're fantastic. Dark side, Mr. Ash is, has got like another like another demon like Calyp- like dark, like dark is an actual demon. And so like like m- when Mr. Ash wins the tournament, like dark sh- like Calypso's boss or someone shows up and they like make the other demon disappear. And Calypso's like, no, no, like he's losing a puppy or something. It's ridiculous. I don't know. The yellow jacket. Sweet Tooth's dad cracked me up because like he's this frail old taxi driver and he's like he's like thank you Calypso I just I really wanted one last chance to drive again and Calypso's like what are you talking about we can we it doesn't have to end here and he gives him this this liquid to drink he drinks the liquid and he goes now you can drive forever and then he goes from being this like frail old man to being like this crazy wide eyed old man. And he's like, all right, let's get on the road or some crap like that. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. That's oh awesome. So many of them, like they tried to turn on Calypso and then Calypso gets the best of them where they're like, hey, thanks for getting me close to you. Bang, 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 bang. The police car. Which one's the police car? Is it? It's not outlaw. outlaw. Is, no, is it outlaw? I'm pretty sure yeah, that's yeah. outlaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. So outlaw wants a world in which there is no, there is no twisted metal tournament. So he like opens the door, drives out, and he's in a completely different like parallel universe type deal. <laughs> so nice. Like they they all have these twists. They're pretty cool. They're they're definitely they're definitely pretty cool. So twisted metal itself came out on the PlayStation. It eventually made it to Europe and Japan. There is a PC version of the original Twisted Metal, but it was only released in Japan for whatever weird reason. They had started brainstorming ideas for a sequel to Twisted Metal before they even wrapped up the first one. Because of this, there was a lot more time, you know, like t- tender loving care given to the sequel. 
So pretty much everything about the game is an improvement. It has even larger levels. There's more intricacy to them, and it has a better cast of characters. Since you brought up Sweet Tooth, here's a fun little story about the second Twisted Metal. So Frosty Treats, which is a major ice cream truck company, they filed a lawsuit against Sony. Their contention was that Twisted Metal 2 infringed on their trademarks through the use of the phrase Frosty Treats, as well as similarities between Sweet Tooth and the company's own safety clown. That's great. But if I know correctly on this, Dave, with the court case between Frosty Treats and Sony, and this is a common thing that happens in the world of trademarks, it was that the trademark claims were too generic and it wouldn't really cause confusion among consumers. I mean, we've talked about that before. Right. But, I mean, yeah, that's come exactly on. it. No, come on. Frosty treats. Uh, no one's going to freaking think frosty treats has got <laughs> anything to do with sweet tooth. I mean, they're not going around with a clown on fire shooting at people. True. Unless they shoot ice cream, which would be kind of cool. Very true. Very, very true. So, well, so just to kind of speak to that, your Axel was Twisted Metal 2. Axel was Twisted Metal 2. Twister, the indie car, was Twisted Metal 2. Mr. Slam, which is a construction vehicle. I don't remember. Was it a dump truck or something? Mm, I don't 100 percent. I think a dump truck might have been it or it might have been a like a not a bulldozer, but like a backhoe. It is a front loader with like front. Sp- spikes on the front. Kind OK, of deal. Like front, front loader, loader. backhoe. I was close. They both yeah, have a bucket. Close. There was shadow, which was the, the fancy looking hot rod. And then you had Grasshopper, which was that like green, like little dune buggy type car. And then they had the bosses. You had Dark Tooth, Minion and Sweet Tooth in that one. So, yeah, you had you had all those, all those, all those, all of those. Both those games were made by single track. Uh, just like with the first one, they made Twisted Metal 2 alongside another game. That would be Jet Moto. Um, so Jet Moto and Twisted Metal 2 were actually released on the same day, if I'm not mistaken. Both these games were successful. Uh, single Track was really riding high. They were, they were, you know, Twisted Metal was everywhere, so they were well into the world. Um, but not everything that Single Track did turned to gold. In early 1997, they signed a deal with Microsoft to publish PC games, but nothing ever came of that deal. In late 97, they signed on as a developer for the Nintendo 64, but again, no Nintendo 64 games. At some point, the studio ended up being bought out by GT Interactive, but Sony owned the rights to Twisted Metal, so Single Track as a GT Interactive studio could no longer work on the Twisted Metal series. They did keep working. They named they 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 ended up making a bunch of like non-vehicular games critical depth road trip out wars they were they were basically vehicular combat games and other types of games all of which that just weren't twisted metal single track ended up closing down like the year 2000 and didn't really do anything else that's notable but sony still owned twisted metal twisted metal was a highly successful franchise the game sold well the games that merchandised well i don't know if you know this but sony twisted metal is one of the first games that sony tried to merchandise too so, of course, they want to keep the money, the cash cow going. They decide to produce a third game in the franchise that's headed up by 989 Studios. So we've talked about 989 Studios before. They're known for de- developing some gaming icons, you know, like MLB 99, NHL Faceoff, 
Cool Borders 3, Spawn the Eternal, just absolute classics in the gaming industry. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And we've talked about them before because they also made EverQuest. Just throwing that out there. So Twisted Metal 3, released in 1998. Not exactly the highlight of the series. Uh, that's when they get a few new contestants like Flower, Power, Firestarter, Augur, which is just a different construction worker. And they keep going. I mean, Twisted Metal 3 doesn't do very well, but it still makes a little bit of money. Um, so here comes Twisted Metal 4, 1999, also 989 Studios. 3 and 4 just aren't looked at very fondly, and I will say this about 3 and 4, just kind of glance over it. So because of the contract that Sony had with Single Track, they didn't have access to the game's source code, code, physics engine, anything. So they essentially had to nix everything they did in the first two Twisted Metal games and start from scratch. So they rebuild a game for Twisted Metal 3, and they make improvements to it for Twisted Metal 4. But the series wasn't nearly as good as it used to be, and therefore it just wasn't nearly as popular. And, and a funny thing on three and four, Dave, is I actually remember seeing something that David Jaffe had talked about specifically with regarding three and four mm-hmm. that speaking specifically of those two games, he said that they're good games. They're just not good twisted metal games. It's very true. He did say that in an interview, which is true They're They, for all purposes, are are good games, but you're right. They're not twisted metal games. So but I will say this. After that, they did pretty freaking phenomenal. They did release a Twisted Metal Black, which is by and far my favorite addition to the series. It was that is the Twisted Metal game that I have the most amount of time in. I loved everything about it. The backstory to the characters, getting to see the how they became what they were and how they ended up like after winning the competition. You could play as each character similar to one. You know, they get everything at the end, but you could see the development of like how they became who they were. Specifically, my favorite was Dollface, who literally had a porcelain doll like face over her head. And she was the driver of the big semi. And it was so much. It was just really awesome to see that and just learn like, how did this person get a doll on their face? And to learn that like, there's actually metal spikes that impale in her face and it can't be taken off because of the lock. And even after she can take the lock off, she's like, no, nah, I'm good. So like, it's just, it's, it's really cool. I loved Twisted Metal Black. It's honestly what renewed my faith in the series at the time. I didn't, I was hopeful that they would continue making great games like that. But I, I played so much Twisted Metal Black. It was so much fun to me. And the one after that was pretty okay too. I mean, it was a different style, but it, it was. It was a fun game, I'll say that, but it was definitely different. And that would be Twisted Metal Small Brawl. And you just had remote control cars doing what you did in Twisted Metal. It didn't have the dark storyline, though. And I feel like that kind of took away from the series, like from the game itself. It was still fun to play as a brawl of cars. But without the storylines, it just it was just a demolition game, in my opinion. It wasn't really Twisted Metal in that regard. Very true. You know why Twisted Metal Black was so good? Why is that, Dave? Because it was made by the team out of the original Twisted Metals that you like. So remember how I said that GT Interactive kept making vehicular combat games that weren't quite Twisted Metal? Yep. So one employee ends up leaving. Scott Campbell leaves single track. He forms a company called Incognito Entertainment 
takes a bunch of single track employees with them. And in 2000, they sign a, a contract to produce a game for a major publisher. And that ends up being just a metal black. So that's David Jaffe and basically the single track team that made the first two twisted metals back on the job, which is why, which is why you like it so much. Well, that makes perfect sense because that game phenomenal. If they would have made a remake of that, well, I'm actually, I just found out that they have, and I now wish that I had a PlayStation four or five so that I could get it. Cause I was addicted to that game and would still to this day, play the hell out of it. Uh, fun little other side note. So, Episode 134 was the God of War episode, and we talked about Sony's Santa Monica Studios, right? It's the first video game of Santa Monica Studios is a racing game called Kinetica, and the engine for Kinetica was used to make the first God of War. It was also used for Twisted Metal Black. So that's awesome. So, yeah, they make Twisted Metal Black and then Twisted Metal Kids, which became Twisted Metal Small Brawl. Um, and then they were called upon to make a Twisted Metal for the PlayStation Portable. That's called Twisted Metal Heads On. What? Okay, they, so there's officially one I haven't played. And that is Damn. why you don't know about the live action ones, because they redid that for the PS2. It's called Twisted Metal Head On Extra Something. And they had a bunch of bonus stuff in there, including all the endings that they shot as for the original Twisted Metal as bonus content. Damn, I can't believe there's one I haven't played. So Twisted Metal head on while this is all happening incognito is acquired by Sony and, you know, Sony choose through studios like it's their job, which it is. So 2007, Scott Campbell leaves incognito. He forms a company called Eat Sleep Play, Eat Sleep Play, David Jaffe, Scott Campbell. They end up making the most recent Twisted Metal, which was just called Twisted Metal. It was a 2012 reboot of the series It's considered the second reboot of the series. The first reboot was Twisted Metal Black. So the 2012 reboot for the PlayStation 3. I also did not have a PlayStation 3, so I will totally admit I have not played the most recent Twisted Metal. I did play it. Uh, our sister does have a PlayStation 3, and it was one of the games that I rented, uh, or maybe we bought it. I don't remember exactly, but I remember playing that one. And it, just like Small Brawl, it did not scratch that itch. It just it was an okay game. But honestly, I, in my opinion, Twisted Metal Black is by and far the best in the series. I mean, I'm obviously there are going to be people who disagree with me, but the 2012 remake was really a huge letdown to me. And I was just really disappointed and I was really hopeful that they would continue it. But I think that it kind of just killed the game series for the time. And we can be hopeful that maybe they'll create another one someday that's good. But for now, we just have to kind of partake in the new media that's out, which I think that we should probably talk about. Before I go into the modern media, though, there have been some Twisted Metals that don't exist that I kind of want to talk about because there's some fun ones. During the PS2 era, there was another game they planned on called Twisted Metal Harbor City. Um, it was just going to be Twisted Metal in a different environment. It was canceled when Jaffe left the team uh, in the midst of development. They had made up about four levels uh, at the time that they ended up just nixing, and then they were included in that Twisted Metal head-on with the extras there's a special mode in it where you can play those four levels. The first concept for the PS3 Twisted Metal, the reboot, it was supposed to be a post-apocalyptic game. We've seen artwork online for a post-apocalyptic Twisted Metal, but Sony rejected the notion. It's believed because they were working on MotorStorm Apocalypse at the time. They thought it would be too similar, so they nixed it, and then they, re they turned it into the Twisted Metal reboot that we were just talking about. And then in that same era... 
They were also planning a game called Twisted Metal Revolution, which was supposed to be a, t- more, a Twisted Metal that was more realistically grounded. It was rooted in hip-hop culture like the Tokyo Drift days. David Jaffe said it resembled Midnight Club. Just to kind of give you an idea, that was the Midnight Club, Need for Speed Underground era. They were, they were going to make a Twisted Metal in that culture, and that never made it to production. Like you said... There have been other options recently to enjoy Twisted Metal. There was a single comic book made back in 1996. And then, of course, now we have a TV series. Did you ever get around to watching the TV series? You know, Dave, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was completely unaware of this. I happened to stumble across it like this last week, just before we started talking about this episode. It's I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it, but I did add it to my list of things to watch and I'm going to have to give it a watch because I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to be good and scratch that itch, but I haven't seen it. So I'm like, I'm not going to give too much away. You could probably devise this from trailers and what have you, but the concept is that like, the driver that you meet is a delivery man running supplies from one town to another. And along the way, like there are factions that try to get said supplies or kill people or get things. And they all drive vehicular, you know, vehicles with guns on them and so on and so forth. So that got me thinking, I think a future twisted metal game in that vein would be super cool. When I was thinking about it and how the, the TV series could lead to the future, Have you ever played the Mad Max video game? I have not. No, the Mad Max video game is excellent. It's an open world Mad Max game. You can basically drive everywhere and assault these bases and like, you know, get new parts to make your your car stronger to get better weapons and you rinse and repeat. And I think an open world twist of metal that's made like that would be super cool because they already have a precedent for it, like like the story behind it in the Twisted Metal show, and like you already had on-foot sections, didn't you? In a Twisted Metal, couldn't you get out as Sweet Tooth in one of the Twisted Metals? Or did mm. they cancel that? I know they had that in Harbor City. I don't know if they had that in any of the actual ones, but I know they already have, because I've seen video of it, of where you could get out of your vehicle and walk around as Sweet Tooth. So they've already established part of the series where you can be on foot. So I think there's already a precedent for this concept. But I think that that to bring Tristan Metal into the modern era, to bring Tristan Metal into the modern era, that'd be a, a fun concept. I also want to discuss one more thing with you. One more thing with you, because I watched a video that had a really interesting take on this. And I want I wanted to get your take on it. So this guy's argument was that Tristan Metal was misunderstood because it wants to be a fighting game that happens to be with cars and guns. I could definitely see that, but I don't think that's the case. It's it's its own thing. If you think about the design of it, you know, you look at the way they designed the old ones like it you're you're fighting other cars they filmed endings which was the kind of thing that fighting games did at the time and as the series progressed like isn't it twisted metal three or four where you had like you could shoot behind yourself by hitting like up up left or something like that to where like as the series progressed like they had these special attacks they got special attacks and they got like backward shooting and these are the kinds of things that fighting games had you get what i'm saying Again, I can definitely see how that can be made as an argument. However, it's 
I wouldn't necessarily classify it as such. I mean, how many fighting games, when you think about it, are multi-opponent in that aspect? I mean, when you think of traditional fighting games, Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, Tekken, a lot of it's a one-on-one or even Soul Calibur. Yeah. A lot of it's a one-on-one. This was more of kind of like a tournament style. And I mean, okay, maybe by that regard, you consider it more like modern game, uh, like I can't think of the word I'm looking for here. Modern fighters. Like Battle Royale games. Ah, uh, yes. But again, I just I think that it was more of a demolition derby with higher stakes. Yeah, very true. Well, that's what it's called all the places a, is a, a demolition derby with with ballistics involved. So that's the way it's described all over the place. Um, and the whole argument is is like you're you're the way you see it is the way it should be. The whole argument, the guy's argument was, is that it failed it it was never looked at popular with Sony or focus groups because they, they saw it as a fighting game because of the way it was designed and it was, it, 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 it just, it didn't, it didn't, but I, it really intrigued me because his argument was valid. Like if you think about it, like the way they filmed the endings and made the story and the way that, like they have special move sets later on, like there's definitely an argument to be lent that maybe they thought about it from the design standpoint of it being like a fighting game, you know? So I mean, it's definitely a good idea to have done so even. I mean, it's a good... Obviously, fighting games were popular, so why not make one just with cars? But yeah. again, I just... I, I can see the argument, but I just personally think that it's not so much that. But, you know, again, everyone's got their own opinion and their own views on things, and that is what it is. Well, we don't have to make a Twisted Metal game, but we have an idea for a video game. If we want to, If we want to do it, we can make an open-world vehicular combat game, so... Yeah, that we could, Dave. We better get on it before David Jaffe decides to get back in it. David Jaffe is not getting back in it at all. At all. I'll go through his history really quick. We covered it in the God of War episode, which again, 130-somethings, God of War. You know, during the Incognito era, like I said, Sony Santa, Sony Santa Monica Studios was assisting on games. You know, Twisted Metal Black uses their Kinetica engine. That's the same time period when David Jaffe conceived of the God of War series, which is produced by Sony Santa Monica Studios. That's what they exclusively do now. And it produced the first few games in the series. February of 2012, he ends up leaving Eat, Sleep, Play due to creative differences. And he forms, I made fun of this before, I still love it, the Bartlett Jones Supernatural Detective Agency. (laughs) Bartlett Jones. They make one game called Drawn to Death, it gets shut down within a year because it's like an online shooter that doesn't do anything. So they shut the servers down. And now all he does is he streams on Twitch and YouTube. I've watched him more. I've watched him before. He's a, he's all right, but he's just a streamer now. So, hmm. and he said he's act. He's openly said on his streams. I wouldn't, I don't uh, because of the fervent fan base of twisted metal. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be the person who touches it anymore. I don't I don't think that I can win. Basically, his opinion is he doesn't feel like he can win with the way fan bases are nowadays. So. I don't know. I think that he, it would be pretty successful if uh, we just brought back the originals. Yep. But a uh, uh, couple of the other people that we talked about in it. So Scott Campbell, uh, former founder of. Uh, Incognito Entertainment, if you look at his LinkedIn, He is now the senior director of design at Zwift, which is a fitness gaming company that blends the fun of video games with the intensity of serious training. 
they basically make like smart bikes or like little trainers you put your bike on and you connect to an app and as you bike on this device it like it does it in a video game so you can do like workouts uh if you're inside you can do workouts outside or you can compete against other people is basically how what zwift does it's actually kind of a cool concept now the original twisted metal was co-created jaffe was one half of it mike Giam was the other half of it you know they were two of the th- first people to hold the title of game designer at sony Giam ended up working for sony for 13 years he eventually became a creative director for its santa monica studio during the god of war era so he was the boss of that everyone that was making god of war at that time a uh, quick look at his LinkedIn shows that he's now the principal designer and manager for Shell Games. As advertised, his current project repertoire includes not only screen-based games, but also an array of cutting-edge AR and VR experiences, as well as interactive theme park attraction design. I just wanted to put that in there because that last part is fascinating to me. So, Definitely. And that's pretty much all she wrote for Twisted Metal. I think Alan Becker is still with Sony Studio Santa Monica. I forgot about that guy. <laughs> My bad. Nice. <laughs> anyway. Fun time, huh? Absolutely, Dave. Fantastic game series. If you have never played any of them, I would say do yourself the justice. Play one of them. Uh, recommend one, two, or black. But Again, if for people who are into demolition derby style or, you know, fighting games, if you want to go that route or who love a dark storyline, fantastic games. Uh, These creators did a just a fantastic job. And it's a game series that's going to be near and dear to me forever. I, I really wish that they'll create a new one that can live up to the hype of the old ones. But for now, it'll just be that little dose of nostalgia. I stand corrected. Alan Becker was senior vice president of Sony's Japan studio till 2020. And then he retired. So he got promoted to senior VP and then retired in 2020. He, his LinkedIn calls him a video game industry has been. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Good for him. Good for him. All right. Well, like I said, we got a few stories in there. The Connecticut got a war the VR and the GE flight sim division. These are all stories that we've talked about in previous episodes. And as you know, you can catch all of our previous episodes uh, on our website at www.membercardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Uh, Well, Dave, people can find calendars of previous and upcoming episodes. One good notable shout out that I wanted to mention earlier, but decided to wait is episode 17, where we talked about games that were around or inspired by Christmas. Which one of them being the original Twisted Metal, which was right around Christmas time in, uh, I believe it was California. It was Los Angeles, Beverly Hills in that area. So definitely go give those a check out. Look at our calendar of future and previous episodes. Maybe for the future ones, you can tell us a little bit about them. You can find links to things such as our Discord, where you can come hang out with Dave and, you know, tell us about your experiences with these games you've had. Maybe share your love of the Twisted Metal series or your hate of it. We'd love to hear both sides of things. You can find links to our Patreon, where for a couple of dollars, you can help support Dave and I in the production of these episodes. 
as well as getting access to unedited and ad-free episodes. And you can find links to things such as our social media, where I can be found on several platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong. Because I'm wrong. Indeed you are. Each week, we tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in video game history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. One of the best parts about getting to do this each week, as we research episodes, we inevitably learn things. And as I teach them to other people, I learn things. So it's this great cycle of teaching and learning, teaching and learning. And in recognition of that, we like to go round table at the end of each episode and talk about basically what we've learned. So Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, I think that my absolute favorite takeaway from this whole episode is that there was a game pitched against twisted metal for pizza delivery (laughs) that's what you like that that i mean a lot of the other stuff is all great i i admittedly knew quite a bit about this one this is one of the few games that i had done a little more research into definitely nowhere near as in-depth as you um but not a whole lot had surprised me but just That simple fact is freaking hilarious. And just the thought that that could have been what stopped Twisted Metal. There was clearly no chance of that happening. But it also makes you think, like, what if they had incorporated that into Twisted Metal? Like, so Sweet Tooth, instead of just going around and doing this, is also trying to deliver ice cream. Maybe that's all he was trying to do the whole time. He just he wanted to deliver some ice cream to people and got himself into this tournament. And now he's like, well, shit, I got to win so that I can get my ice cream out. Like, it's just... It's a fun thought, you know? It is a fun thought. It is very much so, a fun thought. I, I definitely like that. I it's also you definitely shocked me with the fact that there's a twisted metal game that I had not played head on. That's shocking to me. Uh I thought it was pretty cool too. The uh you mentioned the I believe it was Warhawk. That was not to my knowledge ever playable in any of the games or even appeared in any of them. But I think that would have been pretty freaking cool to uh, maybe even as a small little Easter egg, like, oh, you won the game. Now you get to go back and shoot all the contestants from a plane up above. So just a lot of different cool things like that, that just it's it's all it's all awesome, man. I just I love this game and to learn more about it than I had already known. It's it's great. So well, I, lo- I looked it up. Warhawk is the last boss of Twisted Metal Black. That's that's the ship. The last boss of Twisted Metal Black is the ship. From their very first video game. Really? Mm-hmm. I guess I don't remember that. That's I guess I don't remember. I don't remember it being Warhawk, I suppose, to be fair. I don't remember Warhawk either. So don't it's not it's not really a big deal. But yep, final boss of Twisted Metal Black. Well damn. Yeah. Now that I'm looking into it, yeah, you're right. It is apparently it was in twisted so it did become a playable character in 2012 so i never got to play as that i never played as talon which was the name of it in that game um but i i you know that's that's one of the few things apparently i don't remember about twisted metal black was the final boss i remembered a lot of the other stuff but i still think it's freaking awesome like just the thought of that having been in the original games would have been a hell of a lot cooler Yep. But it's still pretty and, awesome. And your Twisted Metal that you missed is Twisted Metal Head-On. It came out for the PlayStation 2 in 2008. 
It's called Twisted Metal Head-On Extra Twisted Edition. It has a bunch of extra features and bonuses. But if you just go, I mean, really, when we're done, go to the Twisted Metal fan, like fandom, like twistedmetal.fandom.com, because it has all the endings. And just, I, 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 you know what? I'll link some to you. It's freaking hilarious. I'll post them in the show notes, too. They're freaking hilarious. Um, so that's the one you missed. You missed Head-On. And actually, it's a direct sequel to 1 and 2, it omits three and four. Like they pretend like three and four never happened. So it's a direct sequel to Twisted Metal one and two. So that's awesome. So, so there you go. Those, those little things are my takeaways. What about yourself? What's your big takeaway? I, there's so much I didn't know in this one. I've never paid attention to the history of Twisted Metal. I didn't know about Warhawk. I didn't know that they conceived the idea when they were like stuck in traffic jam. We're like, how funny would it be to blow crap up? <laughs> didn't know that Twisted Metal Black was done on the Connecticut engine. Uh, I didn't know they filmed live action endings for Twisted Metal. I had a hoot watching all of these. They're great. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff on this one. This this one's fun. I will tell you, like, I dug and I dug and I dug. And there's just not a lot on the actual development of it. Like, they did extra bonus features with this game and stuff like that. So there's documentaries to talk about it. But no one really wants to talk about, like, the actual development. So there's not a lot of stuff on that. That's frustrating. But. But still, there was a lot of stuff to talk about in a series, and it was it's just been, it's been a little fun trip down memory card lane for us. You know what I mean? So, indeed, it has, Dave. All right, Rob. Well, we've gone kind of long, but that's okay because we re- we don't that often, and we really like this game. Uh, and before I take it out of here, is there anything that you'd like to add to today's episode? As always, Dave, I have to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening. It means the world to us. And we really do hope that you enjoy it and that you have passion in some of these games that we talk about clearly like we do in Twisted Metal. Uh, so if you do, let us know or just continue listening and showing us your support. So it means the world to us. So thank you. Awesome. All right, Rob. Next week is an episode that I've kind of both been looking forward to and dreading for some time. We're going to be covering one of the absolute titans in the gaming industry to say that it changed the face of what I believe is the entire gaming industry, I don't think that's giving it all its due credit. Again, on the list of every single list of like greatest video games of all time, I really don't think it needs much of an introduction beyond the crap I've alluded to, so I'm just not gonna. Rob, next week we're gonna do Halo. It's time. So. All righty. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to look at Halo Combat Evolved. We'll look at the Halo first step in the Halo series. So, yeah, join us next week as we frag our friends on yet another trip down memory card lane to the thing. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-